Welcome, beautiful thinkers. I was thinking about this interview that I did in 2017 with Jeff Berwick when he was still running his Anacast show. Now, it's been taken over, or uh, Jeff selected Patrick Smith to, to uh, run the show. So this is an interesting interview. Uh, I was uh, quite proud of this interview at the time, I suppose, I got some good feedback about it. It was interesting to have this conversation with Jeff. And I had thought about it beforehand and, and wondered, hmm, what could I say to Jeff that might provoke or evoke <laughs> some spiritual transformation in him? And you hear, <laughs> at least in, in the interview, you can hear that uh, it started to get him thinking and maybe take a look inside himself and, and start to elicit some transformation or the beginning of it. So it's interesting because of that. Little content warning for this one. So we do talk about some shamanic substances just in case for some reason you don't want to listen to that or you don't want your family to hear that. And... Please remember to check out the website, beautifulpodcast.com. You can send me an email, Kurt, at beautifulpodcast.com. If you have some constructive criticism, positive praise, or if you want to jump on the Telegram chat, you can find that on the website, and you can come in and and start sharing with us if you have anything to say, (laughs) and uh, join the, the community there so we can have some interesting conversations and perhaps talk about the concepts that come up in this podcast or bring something special. Maybe you just want to share some good news with us. (laughs) You don't have to worry about being perceived as a braggart. You can come in and and tell us something wonderful that's happening in your life or even maybe share some art or music that, that you made that's positive, hopeful, inspirational. I'd love it if you did that. <laughs> so go ahead, beautifulpodcast.com. Let's begin. This is a beautiful thought. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Anarchast, your home for anarchy on the internet. I've got a great first-time guest coming on from Guadalajara in Mexico. That's actually kind of interesting how he moved there. He's originally from Australia. It's Kurt Robinson. He actually, if you've been to the last few Anarchapocos, he's been a rapper. Uh, he also has a great new show called Paradise Paradox, which I really like. We'll talk about that a bit later. Uh, but maybe we'll start off just showing his, his rap skills. That's pretty good. Here's him from the last Anarchapoco. Wander through the hotel, pick up free Wi-Fi. Free your imagination, travel through your mind's eye. Make freedom so common that it seems boring. I forgot my clean underwear. I'm free balling. <laughs> None of these phony laws you should believe in. Victimless crime spree, Derek J. Freeman. Free enterprise, drug dealing, you could be boss. And that reminds me, man. One more thing. And as I mentioned, he's also got a great show that I really enjoy. So I wanted to have him on so more people knew about it. It's called Paradise Paradox. And I'll I'll just play a very short clip of it here so you get an idea of it. One of the things that popped up a lot was people saying, if Segwit comes in, if Segregated Witness comes in, well, you just wait when Segregated Witness comes in. 
And I say, well, hang on. I think it's kind of starting the story in the middle there. Hang on a minute, champ. Because this is kind of like if I say, if I become a millionaire before I'm 25, well, there's a, there's a, a lot of steps that go into the process before that happens. So as you can see, it's funny. It covers a lot of things like cryptocurrencies and liberty and, and life in Mexico as well. And we're going to get into all that here. Uh, but Kurt, before we get started, I got to ask you, how did you become an anarchist? Great. Uh, thanks, Jeff. I've been, I've been waiting for years to hear you ask me that question. So <laughs> thanks so much for everything you do for the, for the liberty movement. It's great stuff. So, uh, I guess becoming an anarchist for me, like, like a lot of people, uh, it wasn't like a single, like, flash moment, like a single moment of realization, like Satori or something like that. Uh, it was a series of, uh, of events throughout my life, uh, that eventually led me to this conclusion. So I remember one of the first things was like when I was 15, 16, I liked to smoke weed and some of my friends didn't like smoking marijuana. They liked to, to drink alcohol and they thought it was just fine and dandy that um, weed should be illegal and alcohol should be legal. And I could see this huge contradiction there because uh, for one thing, it's my body. I should be able to say what I do with my own body. And there's no real moral distinction between these two substances. Uh, uh, you know, there's, there's nothing that really differentiates them, um, in, from a moral perspective. Uh, and then years later, I guess, um, well, at, the, at that stage, I started calling myself a libertarian, but uh, I only stood, un understood this kind of social element of liberty or personal liberty. Um, years later, um, I remember uh, around 2010, 2011, I met my friend Bob Lunn, and he started talking to me about this this crazy stuff, like this free man on the land type stuff, uh, talking about how uh, the idea that uh, a statute requires your consent, like if the government tries to, to lock you up, uh, then they need your consent, uh, you know, for certain crimes. Uh, and I thought that sounds weird and bizarre and, and very, very interesting because I'd never heard anything like that before. Uh, now I don't, I don't fully buy into those ideas, but it's, it's still very fascinating. Uh, so I became obsessed with it and I started to, uh, research into it. And, uh, actually some of the people, uh, that I listened to have been a guest on your show, like Mark Stevens and Dean Clifford. Um, uh, very, very interesting stuff. And, uh, they, um, I also remember I started, um, reading about these maxims of law. And one of them, which is very important, which I think actually, if anybody follows this to its logical conclusion, they will become an anarchist. Uh, the idea is we are all equal in the eyes of the law. Uh, and so, of course, if you, if you think that through the whole way, you can see, well, taxmen can, take things from people without their permission and somehow they evade liability for that. I can't take something without anybody's permission. Uh, if I do that, I will, of course, be liable. Uh, then the other thing was I started sending all these letters to government organizations, uh, for example, the, the Australian Taxation Office. Uh, and I remember I, I wrote this letter to the commissioner and uh, asking them all these questions saying, well, uh, how do you know that this this statute or this law applies to me? How, where does the authority come from? And all these things. And I remember I actually got a response after about six months. You know, the bureaucracy pretty slow. 
they sent me this letter back from, from the Deputy Commissioner of the Australian Taxation Office, and it was actually very vague. So at no point did it actually say, these statutes do apply to you. Uh, we have the authority uh, and we have it because of these reasons. It, ne it never really said that. It gave me some, some examples of, of, of how uh, other people had been prosecuted for it. And at the end of the letter, um, it, it had this, this thinly veiled threat basically saying, well, you better pay your taxes uh, and, and pay the money that's, that's owed, which I, I realized was very strange because I didn't actually owe them any money by, by their own standards. So they weren't really investigating. They weren't really taking my question seriously. And so I had to wonder, okay, so these, are, these people claim to have all this authority and everything, but uh, if I ask them what authority they have, they can't tell me. They can't tell me clearly that they have it, and they can't tell me why they have it. So if they can't answer, well, who the hell can, right? So then uh, I remember I started um, some some video popped up on Facebook around that time. So that was um, Ron Paul's campaign for for 2012, and somebody said, "Well, this politician." seems very interesting. And I thought, ah, politicians, you know, it's probably a joke. Uh, they probably <laughs> just ch change the words and around a little bit and make it seem like it's something new, but it isn't. Uh, then I watched the video and I realized this guy is actually teaching people things. Uh, and that's something I had never seen a politician do before or since. <laughs> so again, I became obsessed and I started watching all of these videos and I started to understand this economic liberty, how uh, actually government regulation a lot of the time, uh, you know, maybe it has this, this small effect, uh, this small good effect on the economy, but most of the good things that we have comes from people peacefully cooperating and working out their problems, negotiating all, all of these good things. Uh, and so then I, I had all these, these three pieces, like I understood the, the personal liberty on a, on a personal level. And I understood the, the economic liberty. And I even understood this, this, uh, law or, or philosophical level to some extent. And then I remember somebody sent me a, a video from, from back in the day from Stefan Molyneux back when he was still cool. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, talking about how taxation is theft and, and government is unfit to exist and i said yes that's that's it this, this is how to this has got to be it this is the only way that these pieces all come together uh so then i knew you know a, a stateless society has to be the moral way to go that's great. Yeah, it's kind of funny. A lot of the people out there who uh, sort of the free man on the land sort of types or people like yourself, you know, a few years ago, they're just trying to understand how these people own them and how they have the right to their right. their property and how they can tell them what to do. And they still have this mindset of, oh, well, I'll, I'll ask them questions and, and I'll send them some letters and maybe maybe they'll send me where it's written down somewhere where I did agree to this. Or if, yeah. if not, maybe there'll be some sort of reasonable uh, excuse for, for how they're doing this. Uh, what those people unfortunately don't understand is – uh, we literally live in a prison. Uh, the, this is uh, a government is there's nothing nice about it. Uh, this is incredibly evil and nefarious. And and any sort of dealing with them on a level of, oh, well, maybe I'll I'll vote for somebody or I'll talk to somebody or I'll I'll, I'll just be a good law abiding tax citizen and and mm -hmm. everything will be OK. Well, to an extent, it will be OK if you do 
do every single thing they say and walk very carefully and pay them pretty much everything you've ever made. Uh, they, they might not, uh, kidnap you. They might not kill you. Uh, they still might, but they might not because they, they actually want you to do that. So, you know, it's just the, sort of that understanding that a lot of people don't have yet of just how evil and nefarious it is, this system. Yeah. So basically, you know, uh, these a lot of the free man on the land people believe that maybe they can send a letter and eventually they'll like they'll get receive a plaque in the mail that says, <laughs> "Now you are free. You are no longer a subject." Uh, but basically, if you want liberty, they're never going to put it on a plaque. You you kind of have to take it. Yeah, and the thing that a lot of us talk about is really taking it violently. I'm not sure that's the way. I'm 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 open to the idea because this is how serious of a situation it is, but I'm pretty sure that's not going to work. I think because we we need enough people to understand what we're talking about uh before anything even violent would happen. I I really hope it doesn't go violent, but I we need so many people to understand that and by the time they understood it, there wouldn't really be a need for violence because everyone would just stop paying their taxes when the police rolled in their neighborhoods, they'd be like get out or we will actually, you know, force you out because you are on our private property. Uh so in that sense I guess it could there could be some violence involved, but uh, it really doesn't have to be this whole revolution of like everyone storming the the you know the castle or storming the parliament and and hanging everyone. Uh, although you know that <laughs> it's, if they wanted to do that, like I'm not going to stop them. That's for sure. It's you know it's, it's not crazy, but I really don't think that's the solution. What do you think is sort of the solution? Yeah, well, I I think uh, violence uh, like like yeah, storming the the palace or whatever and you know stealing the king's crown i don't don't think that's gonna strategically i don't think that's a very good idea though uh, people could probably make a case that it's justified morally i think strategically the the better way is just to change minds piece by piece and uh I, i know you're familiar with the work of Sterling Lujan, and and he's got some great ideas about how we can basically em, embrace our better nature and be be kind to people, and how that that helps us uh, spread this great message. Yeah, I know you're into things. I, I don't know how much you're into them, but I've seen you talk about them on your show, things like ayahuasca and all that, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so it appears you're quite open to sort of the sort of conscious awakening sort of idea. And what do you think of the idea that government is almost just the result of a unconscious uh, humanity? So we're, you know, in many ways, I believe that we create our own reality mm-hmm. uh, on a on a mass scale on like seven billion people all creating their own reality. Is it possible that we actually, because we haven't awakened enough consciously, we actually created the situation? Yeah, I, I, I don't know exactly what extent that's true, but I know it's probably true on some level. So yeah, when I, when I interviewed Stellan Luhan, I, I asked him, could, could this, uh, response that we have, like sort of demanding violence from government, could it be a sort of, well, I didn't, we didn't say mental illness. We said a stress response. Like if you're traumatized in your youth, then, then you react to it. And, uh, as long as we carry these, these traumas around with us, uh, people are going to be d- demanding the violence. So, so if we can, I, I think, uh, it's a, it's a spiritual thing and it's a, it's a social thing. If we transcend these, uh, problems within ourselves, uh, we will see the world change at whatever level of, of, uh, truth you analyze it. 
Yeah, it's uh, really interesting. You brought up things like uh, childhood traumas and stuff like that. I've, you know, I've just started to realize all this stuff in the last few years, and I've realized about myself. Uh, so I've been going down this path of sort of realizing why there's problems in the world, and then realizing it's all inside of me as well, and trying to fix them all. Uh, if you asked yeah. me a couple of years ago, how was your childhood? I, I actually remember I had dinner with Stefan Molyneux. Here's an inter- interesting story. I don't know if I've ever told before. It was about five years ago. I was in Phoenix or somewhere in the U.S. It was at some sort of conference. I think it might been a KC research conference. And uh, Stefan Molyneux was there, and I was a big fan because back then he was an anarchist, and he was really smart, and he had all these great ideas and, and philosophy and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I, I, I said, hey, do you want to go for dinner? He said, sure. I was like, oh, that's great. I'm so excited to you know hang out with you. We hung out. We said, you know, typical Stefan Molyneux style. He's like, so how was your childhood? And, you know, I was like, fine. And he was like, well, tell me a bit more. And we got talking, but an hour later, he had me thinking, or, you know, I wasn't convinced at that point, but he had me thinking, maybe my childhood wasn't great. And then I was like, oh, it's just Stefan Molyneux. He seems to be able to do that with everyone. But what I've realized over the last couple of years is I got more into everything, just trying to heal myself in every single way. And I've just began, just started scratching the surface. It's, it's, takes years and years. For, uh, I've already been doing it for two years, and I think I'm just starting now. Um, but what I've just realized in the last month or so is a lot of it stems from my childhood and how I was treated. And I thought everything was fine, but I really never talked to my parents. I was, I was never, I basically was left, I almost raised myself. I never saw them. If I saw them, it was usually kind of like my dad telling me to shut up. Uh, it was, uh, I got beat up a little bit every now and then, but not too bad. But basically, you know, they weren't ever there. They're working the whole time, which is sort of a uh, thing with the whole way the system's set up as well is to get both parents out of the house. Uh, I'd go mm-hmm. off to the government indoctrination camps, the public schools by myself, get beat up almost every day, come back home, you know, Kind of no one's there, kind of just try to deal with it, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm starting to realize that a big part of it is just fixing those sort of things. So this is like deeper problems that, you know, I, you know, it's almost seems, uh, unfixable, <laughs> even in my own life, not to mention in everyone else's life. But I, I guess we got to start somewhere, right? Yeah, that's right. Well, I, I guess these things, you know, they're, they're buried in our unconscious to some extent and we, we don't know. Well, we don't know what we don't know, and we don't know how much these things affect us. And when we first become conscious of them, they can seem, like you said, this insurmountable obstacles. But uh, we can, uh, I, in my experience, we can overcome our pain, and we can we can even transmute our pain uh, and turn it to our advantage. Well, that's hopeful. Uh, I'm, I haven't seen that quite yet. Although I have had many amazing sort of uh, epiphanies over the last few months or even the last few years, uh, even after yeah. the first time I did ayahuasca, the first time I did a boga. I'm not saying it's just psychedelics. There's been doing every possible thing you can imagine, including help, uh, hypnosis therapy, uh, uh, meditation has been huge, um, all kinds of things, all kinds of health related things as well. I've started realizing that if my physical body wasn't quite well, uh, then my mental health was not well. Uh, it's mm-hmm all related and then if you don't have your mental health quite well then you're never going to even get close to any sort of spiritual sort of uh, awareness or consciousness or anything like that so it's all tied together it's been a quite a deep uh, long road that i'm still just like i said just starting on but uh, it, you know it has been worthwhile I, I wouldn't do it if it hadn't been uh, but it's, it's it's something so for people out there you know look into yourself as well don't just look at the outside world um and like i said i think we do recreate our own reality to an extent uh, 
uh, I've seen it so many times in my own life. So if you can fix whatever issues you have inside, you might see the out, outer world all of a sudden just magically change. It's, it's all seems to be related. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I've had the, uh, I've taken ayahuasca twice and it was, uh, uh, especially the first time it was a phenomenal experience. It was like this big, uh, discourse on, on love. And it was, it was even like, uh, ayahuasca had this sort of, uh, lesson plan for me. Like I would, I, I teach English. So, so it was like ayahuasca was sort of, mimicking me i guess or you know it was like okay well i'll present things to you in the way that makes sense to you uh and so i had all the all these little pieces of the puzzle things about like my my ex-girlfriends and my p parents and and uh friends that i'd had uh and uh at every stage i would ask okay so what's the What's I don't understand why you're showing me this memory, and, and Ayahuasca would would reveal this this deep truth, and uh, like I remember one, uh, which was uh, I had this memory of uh, my friend doing this this awful thing, like this um, this happened like more than ten years ago, I think. Um, this uh, this this woman was uh, goading my friend into. Uh, getting angry and eventually he did snap he got angry and and uh, he attacked her physically uh, and it was an awful situation uh, and uh, of course it made me uncomfortable um, and I said okay ayahuasca what's what's the lesson here this is you know this is kind of a strange memory to bring up and she said uh, before it happened he was your friend while it happened, he was your friend. After it happened, he was still your friend. And that's the kind of love that exists for you, always. Uh, and I believe that. I think uh, Mother Earth loves us. I think God loves us. Uh, and, you know, it sounds weird to say it for some people, but that's, <laughs> that's what I think is going on here. Yeah, it's uh, so fascinating, all this sort of stuff. And you talk about that quite a bit on your show, I know. So I, I'm, I wanted to let people know about it in case they didn't. The Paradise Paradox, definitely check it out. He's always got some interesting conversations going on there that a lot of them even go quite a bit deeper than what we talk about here on Anarchast, which I know is already fairly deep for some people. But <laughs> oh, sorry, my head. My ears are too small or too big or something. This earpiece will not fit in correctly. Uh, it always seems to happen. Uh, but um uh, uh, one thing you brought up earlier, which I found interesting that I've been kind of waking up to again is you brought up, um, uh, marijuana versus alcohol. And, uh, I, that's another thing that I, I've realized over 40 plus years that I've been totally lied to about alcohol. Uh, and, you know, just by society, just by the constant. It's always, you know, in the, in the movies. It's always on the television programming. Uh, and, um, you know, it's always, you know, the commercials that, that stuff all goes into your head. And, uh, I drank a lot in my lifetime and I, I thought it was just normal. Like, like your friends there. Oh, this is just normal. It's, you know, everyone does it. I've found that alcohol's got to be one of the worst drugs out there, uh, especially compared to something like marijuana. So I've, I've done marijuana a few times. I've definitely done cannabis oil a few times. I had a, the most amazing yoga session on cannabis oil a couple of weeks ago uh, that was actually almost like an ayahuasca experience. 
So what I've realized is they want to keep things like marijuana out of the hands of people because that will actually open your mind quite a bit. Whereas alcohol, all it really does is it lowers your vibration, uh, gets you into this very sort of uh, dumbed down sort of a state. You can't really think very well. You can't really do much. You kind of feel like fighting a little bit. Some people, uh, they don't mind that at all. Uh, and then I looked into it even more recently. This is just very recently. And things like they call it spirits. Uh, w- uh, there's some theories out there about alcohol that really what it does is sort of opens you up to some very negative, some very evil sort of spirits. And, and uh, I looked uh-huh. into it a bit, and I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. Have you ever uh, thought about uh, that? No, I don't, I don't think I've ever had any, any experience with, uh, well, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think. <laughs> well, actually, there, there was something, but I don't know if I care, if I care to share it here. But <laughs> it's, a bit, it's a bit too weird. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I, I wonder if that's possible because uh, when you drink, uh, if you drink excessively, uh, you know, you get blackout drunk uh, and you don't remember what happened. And Oh, this and is one thing to, that it said that I looked into just briefly. Yep. It said when you get blackout drunk, it's actually your your spirit leaving the body because it's so mm-hmm. it's such an, a negative, uh, low vibration state that it can't stay there. So it leaves. That's what I heard. And mm-hmm. I was like, that actually makes some sense because I've gotten that way. And it, I turn into a different, I'm not, that's not me anymore. And I don't even know mm-hmm. what that person's doing. So that's, that's pretty crazy. But go ahead. Yes, yes. Well, that's what that's what I was getting at too. That's actually what I used to believe. I used to when I got blackout drunk, I used to say, "Oh, my my soul left last <laughs> night or I was somewhere else." Uh, uh and you know, if you if your soul does go somewhere else uh or you know, your your body is is a little off, it, um your consciousness obviously isn't fully there because you're not recording memories. What what else could be getting into you. I don't know. That's just kind of speculation. <laughs> yeah, it's something to think about, though. Uh, so this yeah. all new, new information to me. And when I heard about it, I was like, uh, this makes a lot of sense. Why haven't I heard this, these ideas before? You know, like they, they could really try to make sure you don't hear these ideas and, you know, just put on your, your sports games and drink your beer. And, and, uh, uh, but marijuana, don't do that. that that's uh, really <laughs> bad. Uh, and, uh, yeah. You know. Well, that's, that's what, uh, Bill Hicks used to say. He used to say, isn't this, isn't this just a huge coincidence <laughs> how all the drugs, which do nothing for you and keep you <laughs> stupid and unhealthy, are legal and all of the ones which Open your mind a little bit and give you this fresh perspective. Uh, illegal, isn't that funny? Yeah, so. and then he was quickly dead after that. So you got to wonder. Uh, he he was the one who had the whole thing. Uh, why do all the you know all the people who tell us the truth they they quickly die? And he brought up uh, you know none of these people I'm going to mention are perfect, but he brought up people like John Lennon and Gandhi mm. and uh, and uh, people like that. And um, and you know then he basically his last. If you ever look at his last uh, sort of. Uh, uh, comedy bit thing. It was very, he ended it with a, a statement that I still think is one of the best statements about what life is. And he's like, you know, I don't remember the exact thing. I could actually maybe even put it in this video if, if my video guy finds it something about life is, uh, uh, it's a, it's just a ride. Uh, it's, yeah. it goes up and down it's like and it's very brightly colored. Ride. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So maybe we'll throw that in because it's so beautiful. The world is like a ride at an amusement park. And when you choose to go on it, you think it's real because that's how powerful our minds are. And the ride goes up and down and round and round. It has thrills and chills and it's very brightly colored and it's very loud and it's fun for a while. Some people have been on the ride 
for a long time, and they begin to question, is this real or is this just a ride? And other people have remembered, and they come back to us and they say, hey, don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. And we kill those people. <laughs> Shut him up. We have a lot invested in this ride. Shut him up. Look at my furrows of worry. Look at my big bank account and my family. This has to be real. It's just a ride. But we always kill those good guys who try and tell us that. You ever notice that? And let the demons run amok. But it doesn't matter because it's just a ride. And we can change it anytime we want. It's only a choice. No effort, no work, no job, no savings of money. A choice right now between fear and love. The eyes of fear want you to put bigger locks on your door, buy guns, close yourself off. The eyes of love instead see all of us as one. Here's what we can do to change the world right now to a better ride. Take all that money we spend on weapons and defense each year and instead spend it feeding, clothing, and educating the poor of the world, which it would many times over, not one human being excluded, and we can explore space together, both inner and outer, forever. So, so yeah, he, he, he did that, and then very quickly after that, he was dead. You just have to wonder... I've, I've sort of got these ideas that life is sort of this matrix thing, uh, that, mm. uh, yeah, if you kind of tell too many people <laughs> what's going on, you, I don't know if you, you get killed by the bad people or if you just have risen to this level of consciousness that you can't really even exist on this physical level anymore. I think it's one or the other from what I can tell. Maybe, maybe it's a bit of both. Like maybe, um, <laughs> I, I like to think about this, uh, this quote from this, the movie uh, Jacob's Ladder, and they say it's a, a quote from Meister Eckhart, but it's not true. But in the movie, uh, they uh, the 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 guy says, "Ah, oh, so you you see all these demons everywhere and everything. Um, actually, they're angels. But the fact that you can't let go of of your body makes them appear like demons." Hmm. So when the, when these angels are separating you from the things that that you think are important to take you to this this other place they appear as as evil but they're actually just like these these forces of nature so that's one thing i i've started to realize more and more is everything is not what it seems <laughs> and mm. and it just gets so confusing to the point you just almost want to give up but it also is fascinating at the same time uh, the more you look into this but most people never even think about this stuff right so that's sort of the path i've been on for the last few years you're just thinking about all this stuff and it's it's pretty wild it's like i don't i don't really watch many movies like you mentioned jacob's ladder or whatever i've never heard of it i don't watch many movies because i sit down and i watch them like this is nothing compared to what's really going on in life like this it does not compare <laughs> Uh, like life is yeah. far more interesting than anything they could put on a TV screen. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I wanted I wanted to tell you. Um, uh, I was writing some notes before the interview, and one th one thing that I, th I I thought was important is just to say life is wonderful. And uh, I was thinking this this morning as I was walking down to the gym, uh, and I started imagining like. What would 
what would my experience be like if I, if I was seeing all of these things for the first time and my eyes started to get a little bright and I, I felt like a child. It's, it's like, you know, if you're a country boy, the first time you go to a city or the, the first time in a new country, you start looking at all of these things with, with fascination and you're like, this is all of these colors and shapes and patterns, everything, everywhere. It's, it's amazing. Uh, so I, I think that, that, uh, that experience is, is available to us all the time and we can enjoy that the the glory of being the glory of experiencing things it's like life is this great uh like like bill hicks said it's like this great uh it's like a psychedelic trip and so many amazing things are happening it's like this this bizarre dream and we're all we're all experiencing it uh but everything that you experience is just just for you in that moment and and it will never be repeated and you know enjoy it <laughs> yeah that's one thing i hear quite a bit uh that i should do that i even remember i saw you talk about that on your show and i should try to do it a little bit so i walked into the room and i did what you said i i saw a lamp and i called it a something i called it a water bar uh, <laughs> you know i just called it something else it didn't yep. work for me because I'm, I'm i still can't i don't know i don't know if i'm full of i don't know what's wrong but I, i'm still trying to get to the answer and i want to be like that I, I know people like that uh i've met them now and yeah, every day to them is just a wonderful adventure. <laughs> and <laughs> and what I've heard about some things is some people go, well, you've got to get rid of fear. That's the issue with most people. I don't think I have much fear. I could be wrong. But like, like I really, I'm, I don't wake up and I feel fearful about anything. I'm not scared of the mm. government. I'm not scared to die. I'm not, well, actually, I look forward to dying because I'm kind of not very happy on most days. But maybe I have some fear. Maybe this is something psychological I have to just get to the root of because I do want to be like that. That would be wonderful. Uh, but, uh, it's not easy, you know, if you, if you, you just, ha it, it, I guess you have to figure it out. You know, it's just one of yeah, those things. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I, this is my opinion. I could be completely wrong. I don't, I don't think it's, uh, necessarily about fear. What, uh, what I guess is, is, is a kind of, uh, emotional block. Like, uh, you, you don't want to uh, open up and, and feel all these emotion, all these, all these crazy emotions. Um, not exactly because of fear or maybe, I mean, maybe fear has something to do with it, but it's like a, this unconscious thing. Like you, sh you shut yourself off, uh, mm. to, to these experiences. Uh, and you know, someday you, you'll probably break through it and. <laughs> That uh, makes a lot of sense. I've been told that a lot by shamans. I've been told it mm -hmm. by uh, therapists. It's like you got this huge block, and they always say it's right around my heart. Right, um, right. Well, mm -hmm. I had just the same keep thing. Working, I guess. Yeah, I had a similar thing with my first ayahuasca trip. I remember it was like ayahuasca was was knocking on the door, and she kept she kept saying, "Look, listen to me." When people care about you, uh, that's something important. I was like, no, it's not. The, it's not that important. It's not. It's no big <laughs> deal. Uh, and she she tried like three, four times, and uh, and uh, I remember hearing this little voice saying, "Gee, you're a, you're a hard nut to crack, aren't you?" <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then eventually it came like just overwhelming like oh feel it feel feel the love feel it it's all around you and and you know when where um the message was like like with my parents and with with uh with my friends and things uh that when that when they do 
care about you. Like that's not something that happens every day when some, someone actually wants to share their life with you. Uh, what just hear, wants to hear what you have to say. That's, a, that's something special. Uh, so that, that was, that was my experience. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, you actually been teaching me a lot here. It got me thinking I, about what, yeah, yeah, I think I do close off a lot of stuff. I think I am afraid to fully feel. Um, yeah, that's interesting. That's, I didn't know this was going to be a psych- psychological therapy session, but uh, thank you for mentioning that. <laughs> I needed to remember that that's so I can continue to work on that. Uh, but let's Good. get into yeah. uh, your uh, life in Mexico there because yeah. uh, you were from Australia. You somehow ended up in Mexico. I, I see you on Facebook all the time. You seem to be really enjoying it. So what's the whole story behind that? Yeah, well, uh, the, the reason I came to Mexico, I, I guess the, it, it's kind of this long series of coincidences. Uh, my my buddy Aaron Battle, who I, I used to do the the podcast with, now is kind of taking a step back. I remember I, we were working together, knocking on doors like ten ten years ago or more. Uh, and uh, he's Mexican Australian, and I remember he he said to me this thing about how uh, when he meets his his white cousins, uh, and this is an oversimplification, but when he meets his white cousins, they their their attitude is. What can I take from you? What value can I extract? But when he meets his brown cousins, they're like, what can I offer you? How can I help you? What what can I do to, to make your life complete? And I was moved by that. Uh, at that point, I'd never been to Latin America. And when I, when I came um, like around to 2011, I, I, I came to, uh, uh, I went to Colombia uh, and I found that it was true. People are so open and hospitable and, and, and full of love. It, it was so, I was taken aback. Like, uh, I, I'd never experienced that level of hospitality before. Um, so I chose, uh, on some level, I chose to have that in my life. And that's one very important reason why, why I'm here. Uh, and, yeah, about about living in Mexico, uh, you know, of course, no no place is perfect. I don't want to give the impression that, that Mexico is a utopia, but uh, people are definitely more critical of it than they should be because I see these people telling me that it's a hellhole, that it's uh, dangerous, that it's a war zone even, <laughs> uh, and they tell me that it's run by cartels and, and a corrupt government. Uh, but what's difficult for, for some of these people to understand with, you know, they still got this authoritarian chip in their head that nobody really runs Mexico. So these small groups uh, like cartels have, have a little bit of power. The police, the, the government uh, or the politicians have these, these small pieces of power. Uh, but basically everybody kind of just uh, does what they want. Uh, and it, it is um, the government is has this sort of decentralized power structure. So it's, it's not perfect, but it's kind of better than, than in, um, in these developed nations in a sense, because, uh, if you, you know, in Australia or Canada, um, these politicians get together and conspire, they write their little words on a page and, and they put it out as if it's law. Uh, and then, um, people follow it. Um, but, but here, that's not really what happens. <laughs> I mean, they can put their words on a page. It doesn't really matter. People aren't going to say, oh, that's the law. You know, I have to do the No, they know what's good and they know what's moral uh, most of the time. 
uh, and that's what they follow. And you know, even with the, with the police uh, in in Australia, if the police know something is the law, then they're going to hit you with the book. But here, if the police know it's the law, they say, "Well, give me fifty pesos, and we'll just forget about it." So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of so, funny yeah. to hear uh, people, especially anarchists, uh, talking about Mexico like they're scared to go to Mexico because they hear it's dangerous. It's like I don't think you understand what's going on here. Like for anarchists, it's great. Uh, if, yeah. if what you really like is this really authoritarian, really like you can't, if you break any government law, you're going to end up kidnapped and in a cage and there's no chance you'll get out. Uh, you'll have, be fighting it for years in courts. If that's what you really like, yeah, stay in the US, stay in uh, Australia, stay in Canada. If you're more of an anarchist and you think things should just be sort of decentralized and people should make their own decisions and, you know, if you hurt somebody, maybe that person might kill you. That's, you know, it's very, you know, and that's why a lot of people are very polite uh, <laughs> because, you know, you, you can't, you know, if you actually do uh, serious damage to someone here, uh, they're not just going to call a phone number and some guys are going to come and, and, you know, they're, they're going to take care of it themselves. Uh, so for anarchists, it's actually quite a, a great place to live. I personally uh, love it. I live in Acapulco, as you know. It's been called for a number of years by the CIA, the fourth most dangerous city in the world. And I never feel safer than when I'm in Acapulco because I know the yeah. cops that are, there's no cops. And if there is cops, they're never going to bother me. And I know that the, uh, the people that people think are super dangerous, which would be mostly, uh, cartel people, they have no interest in bothering me. It's, it's like, I'm not doing anything to, and if anything, I support their business. It's like, oh, you're providing, uh, plants to, uh, uh willing voluntary customers. Great. If, if you need any help from me, you need a, a website or something. I don't know. I, mean, I can like, teach you about Bitcoin so you can get around the U.S. dollar fiat currency stuff. Great. Yeah. You know, so we're, we're basically friends. It's, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I, I had one experience I wanted to mention when a, um, a buddy of mine has, has a lot of relatives in the police force. And, and we were at this, this New Year's party and I, and I met these people before. And one of them stopped me, um, a, a police officer uh, off duty, obviously. And, and uh, he said, Hey, uh, I love that stuff you post on Facebook. And I was like, really? What, what stuff? And he said, well, this stuff about the government. You're right. It's got to go. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, even the cops are anti-authoritarian to some extent. Yeah, like uh, most of the cops that I've ever sort of run into or met, uh, they they almost feel apologetic because they're doing that mm. job, and they're kind of like, yeah, yeah I, I just I needed to make some money, yeah. uh, you know. Still got this sort of like very anti-government sort of feeling about it all, uh, and and that's how most people think about cops. Like I actually know a number of people here in Acapulco who are local Acapulco people. They're like, you know, if the cops ever do pull you over, which is quite rare, you know, give them like fifty pesos or something. They barely make any money, <laughs> so it's almost like they're street yeah. beggars with guns basically and they're they're kind of not they're kind of nice guys in general like i know a few people yeah. have gotten pulled over and they just took the cop to a local bar and they had a couple beers and you know that was that was his sort of you know <laughs> what he had to do to get out of the that's the issue uh you know it's kind of just I, I much prefer it to the u.s where oh man if you get pulled over you know just cross your fingers and don't make any sudden moves you might get killed yes yes so, yeah, well, I do, I do uh, try to remember, like, for, for years I had this attitude, like, whenever a cop was around, I was like, oh, who's this, you know, authoritarian asshole or whatever. But I do try to remember, and, and I think it's easier to remember in Mexico that, you know, this, this person has a life, he probably has a wife and kids or, or uh, a family that, that he cares about. He's just a, just a person, uh, just like any one of us. And, you know, it, I see a 
a, a Mexican policeman, and I remember he's a Mexican first. He has, probably has that Mexican hospitality. Uh, so you know they they do have they do have hearts. They are real people, um, and I think we do we do uh, need to treat police like real people um, to be more compassionate towards them, so we can show them the error of their ways. <laughs> Yeah, it never hurts to treat everyone with compassion. And they, yeah, they all do have their own stories. Uh, and, you know, a lot of them are just confused. Uh, that's what I've found in my whole life. Like I was just up at UC Berkeley with uh, Lauren Southern and Luke Radowski, and they're having the uh, the anti-fascist, I guess the Antifa, they call themselves, who are incredibly fascist <laughs> trying to shut down free speech. And, you know, I could... You know, I've, I was kind of watching both sides, and I definitely I sided more with the free speech guys. Obviously, there was you know the, I'm obviously for free speech, but some of them were Trumpites and stuff like that. And I was mm. I was looking at them, and I was like talking to them. I'm like, I, I see why you think you should support Trump, but you got it wrong. And then you talk to some of the commies; they're really screwed up in the head. But you can kind of mm. see they had this like bad childhood or something, uh, and uh, you know their dad told them that they're worthless and they couldn't make any money, and then they end up in these schools and they're taught this government indoctrination about socialism and capitalism is bad and they're just mm. doing what they think is best you know and it's, it's just yeah. all kind of sad to see uh, but it, you know it, I didn't see anything get solved by them all beating each other up that day if anything if they could just sit down and talk to each other they'd probably come to a lot better understanding but that's sort of the state of most people today or a lot of people is they can't even get to that point of even talking because they're so screwed up through all the indoctrination all the damage that's been done to them in their lives but yeah they are real people um, but mm. you live in Guadalajara which is interesting because I know you were um, here at Narcopoco. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually like Guadalajara quite a bit. It's one of my favorite cities in Mexico. Uh, it's very sort of, it's got everything, but it's got a very nice uh, cultured side to it. Uh, it's got like wine bars, it's got like museums yep. and ballet and opera and all that kind of stuff. What's your take on Guadalajara for people who are just curious about it? Yeah, it's a it's a great city. So it's it's the second biggest city in Mexico, but it doesn't seem like a big city. Like there there aren't many skyscrapers or anything like that. So it does seem like it has a kind of small town feel to it. And you know, I I lived in Melbourne uh, for for about six years, and that's like the cultural capital of Australia. And Guadalajara is like the, the similar sort of thing in in Mexico. So there is a lot of uh, like I go down down the street on the on the weekends, and I see people uh, break dancing in the street or rapping, and um, um, there's like a clown performing and all this sort of thing. Uh, and also, the, well, one thing that that Guadalajara is famous for is the women. Uh, the women are exceptionally beautiful. Yeah, I do remember that. That's probably why I, why I remember I like Guadalajara so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it's a very, very nice place. Uh, so, uh, for people out there, uh, curious, you dropping by, uh, let, uh, let Kurt know, uh, if you're yeah. ever at Acapulco, we have a whole group of anarchists here as well. I think, uh, you're quite close there to Puerto Vallarta, right? Yep. Yep. It's like, and well, they're building a highway. It should, when the highway gets completed, it should be like two hours. Now it's like six hours by bus. Yeah, which is, yeah, I was looking at the map recently and I was like, oh, because my wife was like saying, because she just went up there recently. She's like, it would, it'd be nice to kind of live in Guadalajara sometimes. And I was like, yeah, well, you mm. know, it's close to Puerto Vallarta and I like uh, Puerto Vallarta as well. And uh, uh, they both got great international airports. So for me, when I travel, it would be so much better in Acapulco sometimes. Mm. And But I looked on Google, Google Maps and it's like only 100 kilometers or 150 kilometers from Guadalajara to Puerto Vallarta, but it's like a six-hour drive. As you said, <laughs> it must be just, you know, up and down and around and around or something. Yeah, a lot, a lot of hills, a lot of government-built highways, you know. 
<laughs> yeah, but there's uh, uh, quite a few uh, anarchists there as well. Uh, people mm-hmm. like uh, another rapper, uh, L. Dixon, uh, yep. who uh, actually is our website guy. He does a lot of our website stuff and numerous yep. other people. Yeah, yeah. And so lots of lots of people in Mexico for people who are curious. Um, we should wrap this up. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about while I have you on? Uh no, I think I I think we covered everything. So yeah, thanks so much, Jeff. Thanks again for everything you do for the liberty movement. And uh oh the other thing I was I was gonna include in my rant was well go go easy on yourself. Don't be so hard. Like when nobody comes into this life with the with a manual or a guidebook. Uh we don't know exactly what we're doing. You know, we get if we get lucky we have somebody who's who's gives us a few little words of advice, but the <laughs> the thing is we're gonna make mistakes and we make these small mistakes or big mistakes and, and these small mistakes which which seem like huge mistakes from our perspective. But when we do something right, and it doesn't even have to be completely right. It can just be a, you know, just a, just a small thing that we do right. It is a miracle. It is amazing, you know, against all odds that we, <laughs> that we do something good for others. So that's, that's all I wanted to say. That's great advice, and that's uh, partly why I like your show, because you do talk about a lot of this stuff. So why don't you let people know uh, where they can get more information and listen or watch The Paradise Paradox? Yep, sure. So check out the website, theparadiseparadox.com, or you can go on, on Facebook, search for The Paradise Paradox, and YouTube, The Paradise Paradox. Um, you can also check it out on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Uh, and yeah, that's pretty much it. That's great. Check it out. Uh, like I said, it's a great show. I like it. And if you like this, please like, subscribe, share down below. Got to get this information out there to more and more people uh, in many ways. So this episode was great in that we talked a lot about deep stuff as well. And I think that can help a lot of people. Uh, and so please just like and subscribe and share. That really helps out. And and check out Kurt's show as well if you like this sort of information. And uh, that's it for Anarchast, your home for anarchy on the internet. Peace, love, and anarchy. A beautiful thought. Thanks for listening there. So I'll just mention a couple of things. There's something interesting that Jeff mentioned. So he referred to one of my old Paradise Paradox videos. And he talks about a certain technique where you walk around the room and look at something. For example, I'm looking at this pillow that's sitting on my desk. And I might call it a humboldt. Or I might look at this water jug and call it a freaky deaky or anything like that is it's actually an exercise from Keith Johnson's Impro. So I'm sure you, you probably heard me talk about that book before. It's, this book is kind of psychedelic. Like if, if you get deep with this book, if you do some of the exercises in there, you start to understand you, yourself, underst- understand maybe the masks that we wear or understand your own mind a little bit better uh, the what happens if you go around the room and do this for about a minute, then I suppose it, it, it works like this. It's something like you start to shed those labels that you previously had. So a lot of the time when we look at things, we don't look at them with fresh eyes. We look at them as we expect them to be. I know many of you had this experience where you see someone maybe you see a a friend who you've known for many years and all of a sudden you start to notice oh their face has changed and the face has changed a lot and i've been looking at it 
or not really looking at it, expecting it to be the same way it was for all those years or, you know, five years ago. But now it it is actually quite different. They have aged or they've grown. <laughs> so when we look at things with, with fresh eyes, it, it does help us to be happy because it's like everything is alive again. Every, everything is right there with us. So we can do that exercise, walk around the room for a minute, call things what they're not, and suddenly you enter a, a very interesting mental space, maybe something similar to being in flow. And oh, the other thing I wanted to mention was about the gift of tongues. I don't know if there's another name for this skill, but this is this is what I call it based on something that happens in the Illuminatus trilogy where uh, by uh, Robert Anton Wilson. At one point in the story, one of the main characters, Hagbard Selene, is at a music festival, something similar to Woodstock, and chaos is breaking out. Selene gets on the stage and he starts talking to people, but he doesn't just start talking to people in, in a regular way. He's, this is kind of a supernatural being or a kind of a person with superpowers, you might say, some kind of yogi, something like that. And so he starts talking to people, but people start to hear what they want to hear or what they need to hear for them to settle down. So the gift of tongues that I use is not quite the same as what Hagbard Selene uses. <laughs> but I, what it is, is where you can describe, a, you can say a statement which is true. And depending on the level of the understanding of the audience, they will have a different depth of understanding of it. So when you say it to somebody who is a, an initiate, they will have one understanding of it. When you say it to, to somebody who is familiar with spiritual texts or, or um, <laughs> certain personal things, then they're going to have a different understanding of it that, that's, that's quite different uh, or deeper for them. So the idea was, okay, I'm going to get on the show. I'm going to say things that are true for everybody. So it's going to be entertaining for the audience and interesting and engaging for the audience. At the same time, I'm going to say something that is personally impactful for Jeff. <laughs> and having watched so many of his interviews, I had a quite a detailed understanding of perhaps what was going on in his psyche at the time. So you probably noticed in that interview how impressed he was, <laughs> uh, like starting to think differently about certain spiritual things. So that's something to think about in your own communications or if you have a podcast or something, how can you communicate more than one level of truth at once? Because you probably do have <laughs> a depth of truth that certain people are going to understand better. So there's some interesting ideas for you. Thanks for listening. Remember to check out the website, beautifulpodcast.com. Come on the Telegram group, subscribe on Spotify and all that other good stuff. Send me an email, please, uh, Kurt at beautifulpodcast.com. I'll be happy to hear from you. If you have something, something you want to say, um, maybe you can bring it up on the podcast. Maybe you have some beautiful thoughts of your own to share with me <laughs> so I can uh, join in your inspiration there. 
Have a great day. Oh, 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 oh,